Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another special episode of Only Real Fans. I'm your host, Dylan Bentlage, along with Brian Riley, and today we're going to be sitting with fellow filmmakers Menegai and Mike Canale. Mike and Mena are currently crowdfunding for their upcoming feature film, Meals to Die For, a seven-course horror anthology featuring one of our favorites, Sam Valletta. For those of you following Karen Twins, you know that we are also midway through our crowdfunding campaign for our upcoming short-form series, Play It By Ear. Today, the five of us got to sit down and discuss our campaigns, what we did well, what we could do better, and hopefully provide any useful information for anyone also trying to start their own crowdfunding campaign. If you haven't donated to Meals to Die For or Play It By Ear yet, head to Indiegogo for Meals to Die For and Seed and Spark for Play It By Ear and throw us a like, a follow, a donation, or just spread the word. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast as much as we enjoyed making it. Thanks. Cool. Uh, cheers, guys. I don't have a problem. It's six hours ahead here, so it's the end of my day. It's eight o'clock. Um, <laughs> cheers. So I can, I can start. The first thing I want to just say is your your fucking video for your campaign. Oh my god, that's so that's honestly the best video I've seen for any campaign so far. Absolutely, that's unbelievable. That was wild. Thank you so much. Is that guy still chained up? Yeah, you know if you if everyone donates, we will free him. It's, I just like and I just like how what happens otherwise. Well, I guess what we'll have to otherwise? find out. Uh, <laughs> I really like how he's really Bostonian. Like you can hear the Bostonian <laughs> accent coming through. I love that. And that was my, one of the things I liked the best. Yeah. He, he was such a cool guy. He was, um, he was so for that. I was actually heavily influenced by saw when creating the concept of the kind of commercial that we put together. And I was, I was thinking about, you know, who I wanted in the video and, uh, my friend, Frank, that guy, the actor, he, I just felt like he was perfect because and, and I'm not an actor ever, but I'm so small. And then he's like this just tall, brawlic guy. So I was like, he'd be perfect in, in it. And he was such a champ. It was really it, what's kind of awesome about it is I thought it was at first a little sneak preview of what the project was going to be about. And then it ter- it quickly turns into the the campaign video. And I think something that we realized with our campaign recently is not a lot of people do that. I think they kind of push off the video a little bit to just be this like informational based thing, but not actually like a commercial, like it really should be a commercial for your piece. So finding like this cool way to show this is what we want to do. And this is why we're raising the money. It immediately incentivizes everyone to donate because they see what you're capable of just with your pitch video alone. Oh yeah, definitely. It was, um, I felt we, we definitely wanted to hook people in. So kind of shaping it like a short film and nobody knows what to expect when you're going into the first like, you know, 30 seconds of the video and all that. Um, and it just kind of throws you off when we hear like, hey, guys, this is Mina and here's what we're doing. This is our commercial, you know. So uh, we just felt it would be something hooking and fun for the viewers, especially people who are fans of uh, horror. Yeah. And p- past fans of what you guys have put out before, because you had like you have had shorts. So. It's it's like cool callback to like the style you guys uh you guys have done. How long did it take to make? Because I think usually people just have an affliction to work, so that's why they end up doing like an easier video. They're just like, ah, oh, but I don't want to do it. Like it's too much work. How long did that take us to make? <laughs> yeah, you mean like the concept or uh, the whole like to just shoot it? Everything. Man, we got time. Start from the beginning. <laughs> well, uh, I guess maybe a day. <laughs> 
to do the whole thing? No, they there's. They're savages when it comes to work. Like Mike being <laughs> wow. I, I remember I texted Mike the idea of it. I was like, hey, what if we did this? And he he tells me, oh, yeah, that sounds really cool. I love it. <laughs> we came together one day and just kind of banged it out. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we had anything planned, right? We didn't even have the actor or we did or something like that. I, I don't remember the specifics, but it was very last minute. And, and, and it was uh, during a week when I was back, we shot it in New York. Um, and I came and we, and I came back to shoot a different short and we like just coordinated that literally like last minute after we finished shooting that short, there was no planning. Like it was just like, all right, let's get a couple people together and just like do what we can. <laughs> no script. There was no script. It was just like we winged it completely. That's kind of nice to hear, too, for people, because then it, it really it, it's on the fly. A lot of times the greatest ideas are just on the fly. And so people that have that like affliction to the work, you know, honestly, the best ideas you're going to have, you don't have to like sit down for six days and try to like think of something. It's just like, oh, this would be a really good idea. And it definitely shows in that video. That video was amazing. I was, very, I was impressed. Mm -hmm. I I've been like, because obviously when you have your own campaign going, you're looking at other campaigns to see how they like play out. And like I was saying, I haven't seen that many that did like a trailer esque type of thing, except for you guys and us. But I mean, so you guys like we're talking about you guys. So <laughs> now that was really cool. Really, really cool. And what about the film as a, uh, as a whole, guys? Like how long was that like been in production for pre-production with you two? So. Well. I mean, we're looking to produce uh, to start principal uh, photography in the fall, like maybe October, um, like October, November, uh, early September. But like pre-production, I mean, maybe started like two months ago, <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. like not even because this is actually a feature uh, where an anthology we're putting together that is basically the short stories that we that didn't fit into the other anthology we were working on and we were actually writing for because we have like we wrote like 20 something scripts in like a month or two or less you know wow um just me and mina uh for uh romance horrors and there was just some of them that didn't really fit into the romance horror genre and they kind of like we were like oh we should shoot some other promo stuff and somehow that became another feature <laughs> <laughs> so so it's almost the the leftover dinners is like it's just the the leftover scripts <laughs> the from the first bag. project. Yeah, exactly. Of death. <laughs> that's awesome. That I mean, that's also kind of cool to see that you guys can piece that together with just two two months of work from like other stories you've written. It's just a constant amount of work you put into it so that you can keep creating on the back end, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what was this other film um that these these came from? Is that done? No, so no. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. So let's let's start from the beginning with what meals to die for is. Give us the give us the background. Yes, yeah, so let's get the ingredients out. <laughs> well, I guess me and Mina were just challenging ourselves to write more shorts. Uh, or I, I don't even know what the goal was. Just to write more, you know. And we picked a genre of horror that we felt was like interesting, just to keep us like focused on something and. That was romance horrors, you know, like, like we were thinking of calling it like, like, like something like cheesy, maybe like this is not a romance film or something like that. But it's like really grotesque horror film, um, like an anthology of horror films. So, yeah, Meals to Die For is just the 
the excess, like the ones that didn't fit into that genre. And then, yeah, like I said, we just kind of put it together. Uh, like, you know, like we're like, oh, there's like actually two or three uh, of these shorts that deal around food. Um, so we just kind of curated the rest of the shorts to be about that. But yeah, the original idea is like, yeah, fucked up horror film, uh, romance horrors. Like, uh, I can't, like, Mina, do you want to like just talk about like maybe one or like Torn or like talk about some of them that are from the other anthology? <laughs> so bouncing off of what Mike was saying, our our theme was kind of just like bad romances, you know, or it's kind of set up like maybe this is going to be a romance, but then it's actually a horror. It's super grotesque, very gory, like things just go wrong. Um, one of the scripts that was supposed to be for that anthology was uh roasted which is actually in this anthology now because um it was about a couple coming down to dinner to talk about an issue that they had and um obviously it gets super dark and it, <laughs> there's so many horror elements that go on that just really throw you off but we um when we were writing we kind of saw a theme that was going on between these romance horrors that they were all coming together for a date, like a meal, you know, and then we found out that there was something bigger going on. And so with that smaller theme, and we had a couple of them written out already under it, um, Mike and I just decided, let's make the one about, you know, revolving around food first, because we have a lot of stories for that. And um, they fall under that theme. But the romance and horror one wouldn't necessarily just be with meals. It could be like a couple you know, goes for a walk and then something goes wrong. We have like even um, one that could be a slasher, one that is a paranormal one. And uh, we touch on many different subgenres of horror within these anthologies because, um, you know, there's a little something for everyone. We're not tied down to just a monster movie or something like that. Yeah, I saw that on your menu, too, that you have like um, or like maybe not on your menu, but in your description, you have like psychological drama, dark comedy. So a bunch of different things that you guys are tackling um, just with this one, uh, one film. But so then the first anthology that you guys were working on has actually become your second anthology. So what you guys are saying is you haven't, you haven't even gone back to that one yet. And now you're going straight <laughs> for this one that has the similar themes. Yeah. And, and, and I feel like uh, for the original, the romance anthology, we had like some pretty strong stories, but the reason we kind of put that on the back burner is like, whoa, we're going to need a big budget for some of these shorts. <laughs> like uh, they're very involved and they're like upwards of 15, 20 pages. And I'm like, well, we need to do something a little smaller scale first. If we want to dip our toes into uh you know, selling and distribution. That's like, that was like our main goal is like, this is just a, a test run of like, you know, what it's like to sell and distribute or, you know, try to find executive producers and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Meals to die for will become your pitch video for the second anthology sort of. Exactly. Exactly. Do you have a, do you have a name for the romance one? Not yet. That one's still under works. But it'll definitely come together. Well, that will be our next focus after this. But yeah, like nice. Mike said, this is um, honestly the biggest thing for us was learning how to sell and distribute a film because we both we've worked on many films before, but we haven't kind of made a feature for ourselves. And this is our, our first time. So it's going to be a trial and everything. We have a really mm-hmm. awesome team together, but this is also going to help us 
learn how everything kind of works for our bigger project because like Mike said, it's going to need a bigger budget, which is also a reason why we started to make this one because um, a lot of the stories where um, although we are going to need a budget for them, hence why we have the Indiegogo, it's it's simpler to make than the bigger one that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. almost that, you know, you have no matter what you will make this one, you know, like despite mm-hmm. everything, this one can be done. And yeah, that makes sense to use it as almost like a learning curve for everything, because how, how can you know how difficult difficult it will be if you don't just actually try to do it at some point? You know, theoretically, right. we can always talk about it. And I feel like horror and thriller are really good first go at trying to get a distribution deal because no matter how campy it is, there's always a cult following. So it's a really smart decision for any filmmakers that are out there that are interested in learning the distribution side Horror and thrillers always going to be bought because people are always looking for something cutting edge and something crazy and the crazier and creepier, the better. So you guys definitely picked a a perfect setup for yourselves. The horror genre itself, I feel is a big cult following, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, there could be a really terrible B B movie that's a horror and it's just the slasher is so cheesy, but people are always going to want to watch it. Yep. Well, I mean, that's great example of that also is movies that do that intentionally, which make you enjoy them more. Like I love go. I recently just revisited grindhouse by, uh, Robert oh, Rodriguez yeah. and Tarantino mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. obviously planet terror. I still like it better, but that movie is intentionally ridiculous. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah it's yeah, just yeah. so over the top. And like, I laugh so hard, but I enjoy it. And it also freaks me out at points. Like there's so much more, like you guys said, a following for that where people actually actively seek out, horror movies that may not have anyone famous in it yet, or like that might not actually be yeah. well that, that well known to build that cult following around it. So it's a really good genre to choose. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we're, we're pretty lucky to have like our, a, a sales rep already, like with connections to distribution. So it's like, all we have to do is really make the movie and he's like going to sell it. Like he's like pretty oh, sure wow. he's going to be able to sell it. So we already have a route for distribution. Um, so we're like that. I think that's like half. That's like three quarters of the battle right there. You know, besides like raising the yeah. money, you know, <laughs> that's got to be super comforting. Um, how can we ask how you guys got uh, got this sales rep? Yeah. 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 It's like uh, someone I, I've, I've worked with for like a couple of years, but he he's out in L.A. now. And he's been like hustling out there. He's he's sold like two or three films already. And one of them was like a John Malkovich film. So like, he's like, he knows a good amount of people. So we're, we're pretty lucky in that sense, you know, to already have, um, at least a direction for where, where we could sell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Sam, how'd you get involved then? I got involved because Mike actually asked me to be just an actor in one of the short Sunday dinner. And I'm not going to give any spoilers. I saw the clip um, <laughs> you sent me. I just know a little bit about it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just dropping the F-bombs. My mother loves that. Um, <laughs> but no, so I, I read the script and I've done a lot of horrors and thrillers. Uh, I think they're so much fun. So I was already game. Um, I've been working with Mike for a while. He's always teaming up with um, my company, Greater Boston Artist Collective. And so we have a blast working together and... I did Sunday dinner, fell in love with Mina and the rest of the crew. And then I was asked later on to kind of come on and help produce this bad boy. And, you know, I've had a decently good track record of, of raising money. And um, 
yeah, I just wanted to be involved. I believed in the project from the jump. The second I got on the set, we shot in this wicked huge mansion in Manchester by the sea. And I walked in and I was like, oh, okay, we're serious here. <laughs> like, we're, we're not playing any games. And especially because I've been in this industry for so long, that's kind of like the expectation now that that's where the bar is set. And so when I see people working so hard, I want to be able to give that back tenfold. So I jumped on now as, you know, helping out as one of the producers. And my goal right now is just to kind of get as much exposure about the project as we possibly can. Um, Again, because anyone that's listening to this, I want to try to give you guys as many tips as I can. And if you can just build the hype around your project, not even from a numerical value, from just what you're getting on the Indiegogos or um, what's the platform you guys are using for Play It By Ear? Seed and Spark. Seed and spark. Yeah. So it, it's not just about raising just the, the number, which is obviously, you know, ultimately the goal, but just getting people excited about it to go out and see it. Um, that's kind of where my focus is right now. Yeah. I think we did um, when we started doing our crowdfunding campaign or preparing for it a bit, there was a seminar that they recommend taking on seed and spark. Uh, I don't know if Indiegogo has done the same cause I've never used it before. <laughs> they, they send you, um, at least on the campaigns I've done in the past, they kind of send you tips and tricks yeah. on how to elevate the campaign. But I learned so much just from Mike specifically um, on the algorithm of Indiegogo this time around. Yeah. And it's amazing. So much to learn. The big thing that I've realized is like, it's not like you were saying, Sam, it's not just about raising the money, but really building your audience. Like you can, you realize that you, you know, like if I look at like Seed and Spark, a lot of the the highly anticipated ones are not even the ones that are like over 50 percent that fast yet. It's actually how many followers are also interested in the project. Right. So you're constantly just trying to put stuff out in order to gain a great audience because those the people that are paying right. and following you are the ones that are actually going to want to go see this thing first. You know, so that's where that's where it's like there's a secondary like benefit to doing something like crowdfunding, I think. Absolutely. And yep. I, I think, you know. The big question that all of us as indie filmmakers ask is, is how can we stand out? How can our project be special amongst a thousand projects that are being you know put out on these platforms every day? So how can you have your film stand alone in this digital age um, where everyone is asking for money on Indiegogo, Season Spark and Instagram and all social media? And I think Mike and Mina did a perfect job as we were talking about in the beginning with the actual fundraiser video. You can see right from the jump that this is high quality and this is done by filmmakers who know what they're doing. And I think it's a big mistake if people don't come out, you know, don't come out running that strong. Um, you have to really have your marketing campaign set and ready to go months before you actually launch. And that's really, you know, you can tell in two seconds if someone has a well thought out campaign or they're just kind of trying to raise a couple bucks to go make some more content. You have to try to be above that um, and stand alone. So it's a lot of additional work in today's day and age, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's surprising. I, I've looked, I've liked what Dylan was doing. I looked at a lot of different campaigns just to watch their videos to see like how ours compares or like try and get some more ideas. And there's so many that looks they look like they're thrown together and, you know, not in, they, they give you a lot of information and whatnot, but there's nothing like what, what we have, you know, like an introductory um, scene that. Or what you guys have really what you like with your menu design and everything is just super, super well done. Thank you. Yeah. I also, I love the, what you guys are doing on your side where you're 
doing those magazine covers. Can you like what what oh, are yeah. those? So Who thought of this that? Is, Brilliant. This is this is Brian's idea, but this is honestly one of the best takeaways I think we've had from like the not only the um uh, seminar we did with Seed and Spark because they recommend it and we thought let's just actually do it. Um most of the time do the work, just do the work and it will be fine. Um but the idea behind it is if you have an incentive that is something that people can share and that's kind of funny, you can turn someone's $30 into $90 because if you put if they share that with their friends and their family or like just their network, people are interested in getting that award. They think it's funny and, or they think it's cool or uh, genuine and they then they, they'll donate themselves. So with the idea of the magazines, which Brian Brian's idea, it was really all, all credit to him. Was because one of the characters in our story is working at a magazine. Uh, he's a magazine editor here in Amsterdam. Um, we decided we're going to put all of our donors that give 30 or above on magazine covers in the first like week and then send those out and hopefully generate some more donations of $30 because people are interested in getting their like social media picture on a magazine with some funny headlines. And as long as they were social media pictures, which all of them were in most cases, then most of the time people aren't really too uh, ashamed to share them. I had an Australian friend of mine. His second profile picture on his Facebook was him looking out into the distance of mountains bare naked, <laughs> put him on a travel magazine and just like say the Aussie traveler and like made this crazy thing for him with like some, he's currently studying to be an astronaut. So like I wrote the world's not enough and like a little headline <laughs> like that. And then sent it to him and he sent it to a bunch of his friends because it's just, you know, it's cute and funny. So, yeah, it mm-hmm. makes sure people feel so valuable. Yeah, that's a great idea. It, it, you know, you, you want to make your investors feel valued and feel like they really have a hand in making this project. Because if it isn't for our investors, whether it's $5 or $500, we couldn't do it without them. And so by making them, taking the time out of your day to make them feel valued and special and express your gratitude. It's so important. It's so important. Yeah. I think what we also learned was um, incentives that don't cost us money, right. you know, things that just cost us time, um, but don't necessarily, we did that the first time we did crowdfunding. We did like everyone gets a poster, but that's a nightmare. And Lost, like, like, has a every- freaking budget printing those things <laughs> yeah. out and shipping them. And so we just started coming up with more ideas that are like things that we can do if we put the effort in. So the the magazines is fun. It was a nightmare because uh, so many donations came in, in the first week. Um, but we had three of us just like constantly on it in a group chat, just like sending them out. I'm like, all right, who's got this person? Here's the headlines. Like it was actually like a real like magazine scene for like a week. <laughs> and we're still not done yet. We got a few more to make. Oh, my gosh. What are some of the incentives on your guys' campaign? Well, we kind of took the same route. We're like, uh, because I've I've helped run indie uh, like Kickstarters or Indiegogos before, and it's like I see them get bogged down with the uh, incentives. You know, like oh, we have to like send stickers and the bag and like you know the poster. It's like holy (laughs) shit! Like it's costing a lot of money, you know, to do that. So we were like, what can we give to like that doesn't cost anything? Um, And honestly, like I feel like almost all of them are like not tangible things besides a poster. And that's like at a hundred dollars, you know, <laughs> I think they're all not uh physical object, like physical incentives. Yeah. Like I one believe. of our incentives is a digital <laughs> download of the film itself. Yeah. You know, it's not tangible, but <laughs> right. Mm. Yeah. That's what's important. It's like making sure that you can provide things that are cool or like useful and related to the film, but also like no stress for you. 
like yeah, making I, digital magazines, behind mm-hmm. the scenes photos and whatnot. Oh yeah, we have like BTS photos. Uh, yeah, I think that's honestly a, a hard thing to figure out sometimes, like that balance between, um, you know, the incentive being like costing money and also like the donation amount, you know, and then the, the work yeah. put into that. It's like, what can we give that's like really cool, but also like won't take up a lot of the budget as well, you know? Mm-hmm. But you also factor sh- in, you got to factor in how much like a poster will cost per donation. So if like, yeah. a poster for like making and sending is like 30 bucks and they it, you set it at a hundred, then that actually means you're only getting 70. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like a lot of math and I, I didn't like math. So I went into film. We're going to make anti-math propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Like one idea we had recently that I, I guess we can share on this podcast, right, Brad? Cause we're not going to release it for like another week. Yeah. Um, is what we want to do is once the latter half comes in and, um, they usually think like they talk about in these seminars and a lot of research we were doing that the latter half of your campaigns is a lot of people in the industry itself or people interested in filmmaking or like other filmmakers. So an idea we had was doing a feature spot on the podcast where we do like a read through of someone's script they're trying to push. And then just a brief conversation on like what they, how long they've been working on it, what's it about and essentially like a free marketing slot for like a mm-hmm. little while you know you guys are getting in before that but that's because we just like your campaign and we love <laughs> <it, so>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah just things that are time costly but not necessarily like just going to eat into our budget because that just goes so fast right. mm. you also want to set up a campaign where you can be focused on the campaign and if there's too many things that you need to send out or be focused on you're losing exactly what it is you need to be paying attention to and that's that's the fundraiser um, so finding that happy medium, which I feel like both of these campaigns have really done super well is stay on mission and stay focused, but also make it personal and keep it exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I think our, our main focus was, uh, showing content and instead of like that being the deliverable, uh, yes. I think a very ambitious, uh, idea we we've been, we've, we're doing right now is, um, we we filmed, we're going to, we're releasing four shorts bi-weekly since, uh, from the beginning of the, uh, kicks, uh, from the beginning of the, uh, Indiegogo campaign. So, uh, like we already released, did we release? We released two? one. One already. Just one. Um, but yeah. The second one next week. And then two weeks from then another new horror short. Um, so I feel oh, like wow. in terms of just like, I feel like I've never seen a campaign do that. Like I'm trying to do things I haven't seen. And I've seen like yeah. a lot of these Kickstarter Indiegogo campaigns, you know, struggle for money. And I'm like, well, I know it's super ambitious and like a lot of work, but like, this is what we want to do. And we're saying we're shooting an anthology. So why not show them that we could do four shorts for promo mm-hmm. that these are no yeah. budget shorts. These are like cost basically zero dollars mm-hmm. to do, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that's so perfect, Mike, is that you're showing people that there's great content that they're already going to be investing into. I mean, one of the things we did when the Indiegogo link launched is I had asked Mike for, you know, behind the scenes photos or just freeze frame stills and that little clip that we released that you've all seen. And the interaction I get on social media on just my personal pages when they see a photo of me in the film. They see it. They see that this is a great product. This is exciting. Let's go invest. You know, if you just 
have a script and just an idea, it's not enough. You have to stand alone and you have to make sure that, that the content is good because we're living in a time where people can push out videos every single day and they do, and it's redundant and it's boring and it's not well thought out. So I think having this very strong, um, push of really, really well-made and thought out content has been the game changer, at least for what I have been involved with in in campaigns in the past, having that material for people to see, it instills trust in your fundraise, in your um, donors. I would say that's the best way to put it. Trust. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that they're expecting a product. Like, how do they know what it's going to be like, especially as a no name with uh, nothing to show for before, you know, besides like shorts or whatever media you might have, but like at that scale, you know, you, you need a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. People give a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. Our first campaign that Brian and I ran was one where we had already finished the film and we needed money to do the post because we didn't budget because we were just like, it's fucking stupid. Um, (laughs) Which film? There was Dilettantes. We did Dilettantes with Kickstarter for for $3,500. Yeah, for (laughs) post-production. For post-production, we asked for three grand. We didn't do any prep. We just put a video up really fast and just like try to get three grand. But I think what going back to what you were saying is what really helped with that was the fact that our whole like angle, our pitch was that the movie was finished. So yeah. it wasn't though we were asking for budget to make it. It was that we already did it and we just need your help to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you want to really. Sorry, yeah, man. exactly. No, no, no. But you're totally right. That's what it goes down to. You tr- you They trust you more when they see that your work ethic's really high because just getting the budget is, yeah. you know, not a guarantee you're going to put together a feature. So this idea of doing four shorts and four weeks is crazy, but yeah. that's a yeah. really good yeah. idea. People will always help when they see you helping yourself. That's kind of like Absolutely. a motto I have in my life. I live by that. <laughs> are these shorts, are they getting sent out to just people who've donated like privately or is it, um, are they like widely available to help further promote the the series or the movie? Oh. Widely available. Um, we're, we're actually going to post it, uh, on like the Indigo campaign as like a update, uh, today. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, we're releasing it on, on YouTube, just like more promo. Like the way I'm looking at it, uh, we're, we're looking at it is like cross promotion. Like we're going to just in like individually promote these shorts, but they're all connected through the channel. And then like they all have the link to the campaign, you know? So if it just does well by itself, hopefully people, will you know click the indiegogo link and you know check out the ch- you know and our commercials there and they'll see that like if they watched it and they click the link they must be somewhat interested you know so maybe they'll give a dollar you know which is great you know <laughs> i think it's all about shorts, yeah um all the shorts fall under the same theme as meals to die for so um it's it's more of kind of like an incentive to go check out our Indigo, go and check everything out at the end of the shorts. It, it always says like, go to Indigo, go and donate for meals to die for. This is um, the short is connected kind of to the bigger project. So we're, it is adding on to just more promotional stuff. I have awesome. had some people say like, is this the anthology that you're releasing? And I'm like, no, this is like the pre anthology. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that question. <laughs> That's the only place I would say you could get a little worried. So it depends on the shorts you're releasing as well as you don't want people to think that you're capable of doing it without the budget. So the short has to be like a primordial version of what you eventually want to accomplish. Right. What's did you release the first one uh, already? Right. What was the uh, what's the name of it? 
Midnight Dip. Midnight All right, because I checked out Monster and uh, Aurora today, and I got to say those were awesome. I kind of want to get into them also if we have time. Talk a little bit yeah, about those absolutely. two shorts. But I was oh, going to say if those were your if those were your micro budget shorts, then I was blown away and would say no way. I don't believe it. Oh yeah, they were they're practically like no budget for both of them. And Aurora was even really? done in like one day. Girlfriend, like, we wrote it. Yeah, no, we wrote it in three hours. Like no wow. way. <laughs> yeah, and we produced it the next day. Like it was like a last minute. The thing. actors memorized their lines overnight, practically. <laughs> You know, it was, it was, the whole thing was done less than 24 hours, probably like, you know, 12 hours or something like that. You know, it was, it was pretty crazy. We have to, con- we have to convince people that this is a tough business. If you keep saying how easy it is, we're just not going to get the money. Well, not easy. <laughs> not easy, but um, the process, is cool, the process may be yeah. quick. No, go, take away, Vina. It's, um, <laughs> it, you know, it's not easy. It's definitely challenging, but what is cool to me is that when a lot of passionate filmmakers come together and really put in the effort and stuff like that, then they, we can come out with a gem with like a great project. And that's also mm-hmm. something that we're kind of showing with these promotional shorts because it's like, Hey, look what we can do without a budget. Now with a budget, we can make something even right. better, like so much better. So, you know, right. it's really cool for us. Yeah. And I mean, you bring up like just the most important point and that's how passionate are you about filmmaking? And and that that's really the common thread here between everything with fundraising and actually getting on set. And, and it don't, anyone who's listening to this, don't think that because it's quick, it's easy because when we <laughs> shot again, like going back to that weekend, we went up to Manchester by the sea. We were there for what, three, three days or two days. Cause we did roasted on Friday and Sunday dinner, Saturday was, and Sunday. I guess it was three days of production. <laughs> it was, yeah, three so, days of shooting. Yeah, we showed up and for three days we shot two two films. And it <laughs> yeah. was full-blown days. Um, and you just have to have this stamina and, and look around the room and, and not only trust, but just like quickly fall in love with the people that you are working with because you have a, a huge mission to accomplish. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to give Mike credit, I- I've never seen anyone work in post the way that Mike does. I mean, he's <laughs> like, he's just on his shit. So it's very enjoyable to work with people like that. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty lucky that we could do almost everything in house. You know, um, I have like a background in music production. So I- I- like I could already do sound design, uh, you know, score. I could, like edit I don't know <laughs> like he knows you know, everything we, yeah, it's like you're like the whole could, crew right there yeah but I think that's really why we've been able to get so far so quickly is that like you know we could do everything basically ourselves and if we add more people on it only expedites the process like exponentially you know what I mean it's like not us to having to do everything you know right. it's like we have actual crew to actually do it yeah you know not just people who just do it but like talented people to come in and actually do what they love too yeah you know i actually have a question about that um for people that are listening would you mike specifically or really anyone would you recommend that if someone is wanting to get into fundraising and to you know fund their own project and to create it um if they didn't have the skill set the same way that you do mike and and i'm sure that you know we all have multiple skills but i know mike specifically understands gear and post and pre extensively um, would you recommend to filmmakers to try their best to learn all of those roles when they're starting out? Or would you recommend if they're fundraising, 
to allocate some of those funds to people that already know what they're doing? Like, is it better to save money by investing in yourself and learning or to invest in people that can just do a super dope job? Well, I think it really comes down to like understanding, you know, your own capabilities and like honest, like being honest with yourself. Like, can do you have the time? Do you have the energy? Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm someone who's taught themselves like everything, everything I know. I've never had a mentor. So like I've had to learn myself how to do everything, you know, um, and be my own worst critic, you know, like be honest with myself. Like, what can I do better? So for me, the more, you know, the more independent you are, obviously, you know, uh, I think that would be, that could, oh, that's the more, you know, you you can never go wrong with knowing more, yeah, you know, the more you know, the more uh, you know. You know, and, it, and that goes same for like, if you know people, you know, maybe you could get like convince them, you know, in some ways, like to like collaborate, you know, like what would be a fair trade for them? Like maybe have a skill, like maybe you're a great chef, right? And you know, a great DP and be like, yo, I'll cook you meals and I'll like, I don't know, host a dinner party for you if you could come through and help me, you know, like I feel like everyone has a way to barter something, you know, uh, if that's the route, if you don't have the time or the energy to learn, like all the film facets, you know, <laughs> or the, uh, or even like the, like the gear, right. You have to have a computer to learn some of this stuff. You have to have the software. It really comes down to like, do you have like the money, you know, um, or the experience. So it's all like sort of like a catch 22 to some extent. Right. Yeah, yeah. They don't have the time. You don't have the money, or you don't have the energy. You know, so it's like one of those things. And like, pretty grateful we have we have the time now. You know, especially because of a uh, quarantine. Um, you know, and like what happened with COVID. That was kind of like why we were able to do all of this, right, Mina? Like, that's like the only reason. <laughs> Honestly, I'm I'm pretty sure our writing challenge for ourselves just started in in quarantine because we wanted to, you know, be productive and get our juices flowing in a time that we're all stuck at home. So I'm pretty sure that's what sparked the bigger anthology. And then Mike and I kind of just came to the point where we're like, we have all these really great stories and we've been writing like two or three per week, you know, and just banging yeah. them out and like getting in the flow of it. Like, uh, let's put them aside and, you know, when things get better, we'll shoot it, you know? And also one thing for like, I feel, you know, coronavirus times and this anthology, what worked for us is, you know, um, it's, it's episodic. So these shorts, it takes much less time to produce one or two in a sitting than it would for an entire feature, like, you know, all together. So, um, it's, Cause you know, taking care of people, making sure like we have like the masks and all the papers and all that filled out just to make sure everything's sanitary. That's like a caution and cost in itself. So it, it helps mm -hmm. us with producing this. I think we found the best route to like be productive, you know, while yeah. um, doing something that's like, you know, able to be done in these kind of times. Yeah. And then the other thing, uh, logistically that kind of worked out because of like quarantine and like people getting back into work is that like a feature, if we did a, a feature, we would have to have some people dedicate like two weeks to shooting it. But because it's anthology, we could be like, Hey, you know, we only need you two to four days, you know, maybe five days max if it's like really involved, but we're looking at two to four day shoots per, per short. Mm -hmm. you know, for the anthology. And I feel like that's sort of unique in terms of doing a feature because we don't have to block it out like in 
straight to like 15 days or like 20 days. We could do like this weekend, the next weekend. And it's like, they're completely, you know, individual, like separate from each other. So in terms of actually going into producing logistics, it's like we could break it down like that and they don't have to be, uh, consistent in terms of like the weather, the location, the costs. Like if one of them, if we shoot one of them and it's like, oh, we blew our budget. We're going to have to tone back the other ones. You know, we have that space to actually, you know, fix that, you know, like allocate more money or try to get more money or, you know, we'll have breaks logistically. So that I think that's something that's like interesting in terms of the angle we've taken. What was it like for you? Uh, how long have you been in pre-production for uh, your uh, feature of uh, Play by Ear? Hmm. Um, <laughs> well... <laughs> We've been working on it for like a year and a half, but I think pre-production. Two years. Bro. Two years. Oh, yeah, wow. Yeah, it's been two years. Well, since I moved here, since I've lived, I, I didn't mention it, but I'm sure our listeners have heard it enough. I moved to Amsterdam two and a half years ago, and then we started working on this, like the real early stages of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like like real pre-production, I would say, really took off probably around like January or February of this year. Like that's when we started getting into like the the idea, like putting together this campaign and mm-hmm. planning out like what we wanted to do. Uh, scripts, I think, were already pretty much finalized at that point. But like general, like the bigger picture stuff was really planned out. Like started this year, kind of end of last year. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that it was very similar to what you guys said. So it was we once COVID first started, like really kind of hit everywhere at the same time a year and like a couple months ago. It felt like a vacation at first. It felt like everyone took off work. Like I wasn't working. There was no work. Um, so I was getting paid to stay home and basically do nothing. And after a yeah. week of just getting high in Amsterdam, because what else was I going to do? I got bored and um, decided, oh, we should really kind of start working hard on these series. Um, and so it's very, very similar um, to what you guys were saying. Um since then we like took a lot of time to we took our time like you guys said so the difference is like i guess not the difference it's very similar what we're doing is episodic and 10 minutes per episode for six episodes so it's very similar to what you guys are doing where we can take our time in between them logistically the hardest element of this is that it films in amsterdam and la that is very difficult to plan but (laughs) it's beneficial (laughs) That's very, it's beneficial that I've been here for two years. I've worked in the industry. I know people that can help us here. So the really the most difficult part is just getting three members of our crew for max to be in both places. But we got really, really lucky recently finding a uh, cinematographer who is a, natively from California because it films in LA, uh, but her boyfriend is Dutch. So she consistently flies back and forth between Amsterdam and LA. So oh, and wow. she's been in a long distance relationship for six years. Um, so she's completely almost living the TV show that we've written, which makes it very easy for us to just tell her our ideas behind this and her, for her to bring her own experiences into it as well. Um, and past that, you know, it's just about trying to find two crews in two places, but it frees us up the same way you guys said, like you can do one piece of your anthology. And if you blow the budget on one piece, you can take time to figure out how you're going to do the next piece, or you can, you don't have to worry about scheduling somebody for two weeks straight to do the feature. Similar for us, it's about five days, maybe five to seven days in both locations. And we really just need two separate crews besides four people, four or five people. So 
it actually kind of frees us up in a weird way. It's just expensive to fly people, man. Yeah. (laughs) Especially now that COVID's like lifting up and like prices for flights are also going really far up. Yeah. It was so cheap before, you know, during COVID. And I I understand why, Mm -hmm. but it was crazy cheap all the tickets. (laughs) Yeah. I want to go back to what you were asking though earlier, Sam, about like doing it yourself so you can learn versus hiring professionals to do it because you're raising the budget. Because this is a very interesting question, I think. It pertains to both the way we're doing our projects. So as I understand it, Mike, you're essentially the entire post house. You're just the, you're going to be the post one-stop shop factory. But it seems like you've done a lot of work to prepare yourself to be in that position. So I think you were right by saying you need to find the balance. You know, at some point, I'm sure you guys felt it too. When you start seeing money of other people, you see the support you're getting from people and like just the amount of people that actually love and care and believe in what you're doing, supporting you. It almost invigorates me at least more to make something amazing because I don't want to let them down. This is no longer Mm -hmm. about me. It's about like making my donors really proud. So you have to find that balance of what you think you can do and what you feel like you can't. And it's interesting. So you're going to do all the posts, but this is my first time going to be acting in a series. So I'm going to be acting the lead character. (laughs) And it's the same type of debate I'm having in my head the whole time. It's this debate of I can find someone who's clearly more professional and better at this but what are my limitations? What can I bring to it? I helped write it. The char- the, the guy characters heavily based off me, uh, a Dutch American kid who grew up in the U.S. and moves to the to the Netherlands, so I can really resonate with his behavior and his uh, his his worldview. You're basically but method acting right now. I'm basically method acting mm-hmm. for the for the last three <laughs> years. Um, but it is it is an interesting thing. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about that a little bit. Like I want to make sure that. If anything, it invigorates me to work so hard on my acting classes and like things and learn as much as I can beforehand because mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to get there on the day of and be like, oh, I'm stiff as a board. I look like Plank from Edda and Eddie. I definitely <laughs> yeah, yeah, can't. Yeah. <laughs> I can't gonna, do this. Are you, are you also directing or is someone else directing? One of our co-stars is also um, directing. Emily and Simon. Yeah, Emily and Simon are directing, but Emily is also she's playing the female lead. But she's but she's directing. So then when she when she's acting, uh, Simon's directing. directing. Okay, I see. Okay, so we kind of push this idea towards them of like, okay, we want to have a micro budget. A lot of what we're filming will have a micro, uh, sorry, a micro crew, not a micro budget. Um, And I don't think we have the luxury of having two directors on. So you guys are gonna have to kind of pick the slack up for each other. And the days that Emily is not acting, she can be director, and Simon may maybe AD. Right. And the days that Emily is acting, then Simon can take the point on directing. We hire another AD. Um, the interesting part is Simon and Emily are Brian and I's partners on a lot of projects. Simon was the other producer for Dilettantes. Emily and Simon are in a relationship. And now I have to act mm. like, uh, like Emily's boyfriend. So a <laughs> Simon has to direct you how to properly <laughs> kiss his girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What are you going to be editing with, Mike? I edit in, in DaVinci Resolve, actually. Yeah. Oh, what's that? I never heard of that. Uh, so it's like... Uh, You're our editor, bro. You better know this shit. <laughs> <laughs> what do you use? I use Premiere. 
Yeah. So uh, DaVinci Resolve is like basically the uh, industry standard for color grading. Um, mm-hmm. But they've expanded Resolve. I mean, Resolve always had editing an editing suite but now it's like really good it's very similar it's, to yeah, premiere it's free um, it's actually it's free as well right which yeah, is kind it's of free. a big pull yeah, yeah. it's uh, free cool. and it's it's like premiere but maybe even easier it's like mm-hmm. it's very very simple which mm-hmm. i really like um but yeah i mean it works for what we do i we, we shoot with black magic cameras so working in the native uh soft you know software that the you know company that makes the camera cameras like it's just super easy, you yeah, know, in terms yeah. of workflow, because we're working in raw and all that kind of stuff. And then braiding is right there. I don't have to, uh, you know, do a round trip out of Premiere or Avid MC to go into Resolve and then back out. It's like such a pain, you know, so I could do it all in one place. Like, awesome, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a I'm, I'm a professional editor here in Amsterdam. So, like, I have to work sometimes with Resolve. Mostly we still work with uh, with Avid. Mm, um, oh, but avid avid just turning into a nightmare it's a, pain. I just, it's a pain it's a pain man they're in like the way you have to ingest footage is just so oh, un, uh, unuseful oh, like you're like a pain in the ass so oh my god it makes no sense and it takes forever you know yeah but bry we'll be working with resolve a little bit in our post flow so i will teach you <laughs> all the things there are to know about that for sure <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about your uh, your shorts, guys, too? Because I know we're talking a lot about our, just our campaigns, but I did go out and watch them. Uh, and I kind of <laughs> I don't know if it's how old they are, so I don't want to give spoilers away. But can I know what happens to the boy at the end of Monster? Is that allowed or is that meant to just be completely? <laughs> can I know that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's up to interpretation um, from how the, the film is set up. But. How I wrote it was that the monster in the film was a pedophile living in the walls of their house. And at the end of the film, the mom finds Oh my god. I don't want to know. I didn't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> she finds his lair and um the ladder and the route to go around the house and get to the boy. At the end, uh, the very last thing you see is the mom looking up into the hole of this abyss when the sun is calling out for her. So we can assume that the pedophile got to him again. <laughs> this is a family movie. <laughs> it's based off of true stories. So, yeah. Oh, my God, guys, you're just like, <laughs> I think that's scarier. I, I, I got the idea from news story I read where um, this woman, she found out that there was like a secret room in her apartment. And it was very recent. It was like in the Bronx, you know, but yeah, it was in New York, (laughs) but it happens with like, you know, I I would say lazy architecture instead of knocking down a building structure before you rebuild over it. um, You have, they have the skeleton of the building still, and then they renovate it, which um, makes the process quicker, but it also can turn into, you know, hidden passageways or hollow walls and stuff like that. So there's been a couple of cases where, you know, there was, a man living in someone's house, you know, and that's really terrifying. So I, um, my idea for monster was kind of like, well, you know, what if there was a house that was set up like that? And, um, you know, like, what if that was happening to this, uh, privileged, you know, kid in, in suburbia pretty much. And the mom's not necessarily 
paying too much attention to it because he says there's a monster. He's too naive to understand what's fully going on. And um, yeah, that's that's what happens. <laughs> Good Lord, man. Um, did you guys work on that one together or because I know that uh, this Aurora, the other one that's mentioned on your campaign page was both of you guys. Right. So was Monster as well. Have you guys always been working together? Yeah, that was the start of where Mike and I kind of like came together. I, I came to him with the story and I wanted him to shoot it. I wanted to kind of use that film for like a training thing of for myself to kind of understand every aspect of production um, through that film. So I wanted to go through casting and, you know, uh, all the pre-production stuff to see the edits to, you know, just hone my skills more in those kind of um, aspects. And that's when Mike and I first uh, started working together. He shot it and he was there for with me uh, from the beginning of producing it. And uh, after that, we just started teaming up and our next yeah. one was Aurora. But we we worked on was Bud Rebel show before or after Monster? That was that was before. No, 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 that was after. That was directly after Monster. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, this <laughs> this one uh, isn't released yet to the public. No, it's 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 actually live on my Vimeo. If you want to see it, Ooh. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty yeah. sure I started following your Vimeo today, so I will go oh. back after our podcast and check it out. Yeah, so a different type of horror, <laughs> I guess you could say. <laughs> it's a reality TV show. Is it an actual reality TV show, or that's the point? That's like the horror it, idea. I'll pitch it to you. It's uh, this guy. He wants to be the next Seinfeld. His name is literally Bruce Weinfeld. I think. <laughs> Michael, think Michael Scott, think Michael Scott from The Office, but in real life, <laughs> like this guy is like real, like we followed him around for a day and it's he puts on a show for his birthday and we just kind of like fuck with him the whole time. But you, you just have to see what it is. It's like I his can't real explain. name, like he's billed as his name is Bruce Weinfeld in real yeah, life, his, but he goes by Bud Rebel. Well, I need to watch this. This sounds incredible. Oh my god, it's hilarious. <laughs> he's not he's not the guy he's not the guy from your pitch video, right? No, no, no. no. <laughs> no that'd be you funny. Would, you would know if you saw him. <laughs> but we'll definitely have to show you later. But me and Mina actually worked on a different horror short before this one. That's kind of like because we met on this other feature and then we did the horror I I, I filmed this horror short and I brought Mina and most of the crew from that feature onto this short and then from there I owed Mina a favor so <laughs> you know, because of that movie you owed her a favor <laughs> from from the uh, from the uh, my short called the talker yeah because I was like I was like come I like, I was I was like don't like you know I'm like I don't have any money to pay the crew really so like come uh, through and I'll, I'll I'll shoot something for you <laughs> yeah. you know Sam, you told us that you were on as like a producer, but how did you how did you guys meet? Actually, did you meet from the Greater Boston Art Collective or? Well, we met. What did we meet on the Darko shoot? Like, oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> so sad. Um, R.I.P. Um, we <laughs> still in space. <laughs> I'm scared. No, no, I'm no, scared no. after we... learning about these other films. No, it was a um, so. Yeah, we great G back was doing this uh short film. Um and the the animal that was featured in it passed away after the film was done. So a week later. Um so that's why we in a really were terrible way. 
<laughs> yeah, in a very oh, no. eerily he can similar the details situation. On that I don't know. Um, no, it's, yeah, it makes no sense. It's, it's a, it very, came true. It, like, it was one of those moments where be very careful what you put out into the universe. And I went to church and I would like pray <laughs> because it was like nuts. Um, oh, but crap. that's how Mike and I met was working on was working on the shoot. And you had only met Elisa a week prior, I think. It was very quick because all of a sudden she's like, hey, I met this guy, Mike. He's going to come <laughs> on. I'm like, who the hell is he? OK. And we all went down to the Cape, which is where we shot it. And I'm just so happy that Mike continued to work with us because we put yeah. him through the ringer that well, day. <laughs> I, I get there and I was supposed to AD and I'm like, I never really AD, but like I, I like run logistics. I usually just shoot everything myself. So I'm like, yeah, I could AD. I've been on other sets and stuff. Um, and then like Elisa was like, oh, can you DP this too? And I'm like, Oh shit, I wasn't like ready. Yeah. <laughs> like, we were like mentally. Surprise. And then just the, the physicality of the shoot was pretty tough. I mean, there's a lot of hills and walking and, and through sand, yeah. Yeah. I find pretty crazy locations. So that's how Mike and I met. And then as time went on, we've just worked together on little projects. And like I said earlier, um, they needed an actor and I read for Sunday dinner and and we shot the bad boy. And um I'm excited. I think there was a lot of really good talent that came out that weekend. So Naturally, I just wanted to continue helping them out, make this project, take it, you know, take it to the next level. There's no one I know better than Sam at just networking. Every time <laughs> I talk with Sam, Sam just like knows everybody. <laughs> I think like the nicest thing about keeping like the friendships like this and staying tight is also just that you start to puzzle piece together more connections for more things. Even like me and you guys today, just having a really cool conversation or getting turned on to new projects. Um Brian and I are both very excited to see Meals to Die for when it comes out because of uh, the all the stuff Sam sent me. It looks really, really great. So do you guys have any do you guys have any like do's and don'ts tips, like last minute tips for anybody doing like a Kickstarter or like an Indiegogo things that you take away from this or think like things that definitely should be done and other things like in hindsight, I would have done it different. I'll let them finish the thought with it. And all I'm going to say is is basically just re-listen to this podcast again because we gave so many great tips but just be prepared and be prepared in a creative way and do exactly what mike said earlier which is present your project in a way that no one has done it before and that's how you will stand alone and stand out so i think don't do it the night before which we did we put the campaign <laughs> we put the, <laughs> we put together the campaign like we had the date we had everything set ish but we like put it together like the day before so <laughs> i wish we had more time to set it up and put pe get people together like we were sort of setting up but we didn't actually pull the trigger until we released it and then we're like all right i'm like we need to go. Like I kept saying that to me and I'm like, we need to hit everyone up. Like I think dues, uh, build a team for sure. Like get people to, uh, share, share, uh, share the project, reach out personally to their friends and family or whoever the target demographic is at that moment, you know, create an Excel sheet is like, that's what we have, like a donor list. Like, so people aren't asking the same people again, you know, People, at least on the team that do, you know, five people aren't reaching out to one person be like, hey, donate. And then like confirmation, cross checking with who has donated. I feel like that's I don't know if that's a that's probably like, helpful. I don't know if it's a do, you know, you don't have to do that. Um, 
but definitely more time, like make sure it's planned out a little bit more. It's not last minute, <laughs> but like somehow we, we pull it, you know, we pull it together last minute. Um, I mean, hey, you guys make short films in a day. I think you could put you, you guys the type of people who can put this together in a day and make it look good. But like Mike said, I definitely I would say to people, don't underestimate how much effort it's going to take to craft your Indiegogo. Because, yes, not uh, not only with the information and explaining it to the donors um, and viewers of the campaign, like uh, all the efforts that we're putting into it and explaining the film, it's, you know, it's the graphics, it's making it look physically good as well. So we had to really be, um, <laughs> you know, on top of it, like when explaining kind of like each step of the process to these people of why we're asking for donations. But aside from that, we have to make it like visually appealing. So I, I was there on like Photoshop, just like <laughs> making all these little banners for it. And Mike and I were on FaceTime just trying to like bang it out. But it it takes a lot of time to just put it together to make sure all your information's correct. And, um, you know, that it, that it looks good. And this is what you want to show people because this is what you're presenting to everyone. It has to look awesome. So there's, you just have to put aside time to actually, you know, get that together. Yeah. And, cre- and create a team if you can, like a marketing team, like an organization team. That's been like pretty helpful with us, like bringing on more people to help out, like Sam, like the rest of G back, uh, other people that, you know, on Mina's end and then like on my end, like just have like, have a crew of people ready to just like share, just share and like try to reach out like that's the best you can do and i feel like uh the the hardest part is getting it beyond your circle right i feel like doing outreach outside of your circle is probably the toughest part so we're still figuring that out like you know we're we're like trying to cast some like you know uh, bigger like some name artists uh you know musicians and maybe even like uh like uh b-listers in the last promo short that we didn't even shoot yet, you know, uh, just to get outreach from like different demographics that, you know, we're not touching on right now. Um, so that, that's like kind of like how we're trying to think outside of the box, even with like having promotional shorts, we'll push those out like through like Google ads or something into people not in our circle. You know, how do we draw traffic from people we don't know because like, We've been like, like at, at a certain point, you're going to expend all your resources on, you know, on the people that, you know, like in your circle, they're going to be like fucking done seeing it after a while, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would say that's the hardest part. And the last thing that I want to say, because I know we're past the hour, but the last thing I want to say is, is to anyone who's listening, make sure you understand and value the differences between PR and marketing and don't just rely on social media. Social media is our, our best friend for sure. And it's allowed us all of these tremendous privileges, but understand basic PR because being able to communicate with your media that is off of social media. So I'm talking newspapers and podcasts and other things like this is so incredibly beneficial. It'll never be outdated and it will always be useful. So educate Mm -hmm. yourself on that difference. Absolutely. I think going, what you guys are also touching upon that's very important is when you exhaust those resources, like your, your social media resources, your, your email resources, um, 
when you want to do another Kickstarter or another Indiegogo the next time, like how many times can you still just keep hounding on the same people to donate? So you're really like we went, the first thing we talked about through this is you're building an audience. So like mm-hmm. finding ways to outreach further past that audience. Um, like you guys said, like doing these, these shorts so that people see it and then they link back to the campaign or like us with our magazines, hopefully friends of friends see that and think it's cool. So just things that you can do to just grow your audience and make it emerge. The top thing is just to be, be creative, come up with ideas that, um, like we said before, with your incentives, um, or even just the general layout of your page that like tailor back to the main idea and the content that not only lets people know about what to expect with your movie or your series, but also gets them excited for it. Even if it's something like a magazine where they're they at now they're part of it, not because they don't, not just because they donated, but like now they have content related to the content and you know, maybe the magazine will be in the series. Who knows? Yeah. I'd say like the biggest thing is you wouldn't put out a campaign for a product that you weren't sound in. Like if you didn't believe in that product, and your campaign is the first step to that product. So you need to put the same amount of time and effort into that campaign. If you believe your project is different and thinking out of the box and unique compared to other people's like pro- projects, and that's why people should donate, your campaign needs to reflect that. It can't just be pieced together and you hope that people can see the vision of the product that you're pushing. Your campaign is the first step. So that's that's honestly the most important part. And definitely get a crew and definitely take the time. Don't do it the day before and everything everyone else said said was most important. Okay, guys. Hey guys, I want to say it's really, it was really great meeting you guys. Um, Like I said, for Brian and I, like we're really excited. Uh, We donated. We really love the project. I can't wait to see it when it's finished. Um, You know, keep us updated too, man. Let us know when you guys send us the other work. Like I'm really, I'm invested now. I'll be on the lookout for those promo shorts. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. It was great talking. Yeah, it was great meeting you. All right, have a good one. <laughs>